You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I'm so excited to be here tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. And um, I got a great uh, guest with me tonight. Uh, just visiting here in the 602. Mike Schindler is back. How's it going, Mike? It's going okay. How are you? You know what? Doing pretty well. It's uh, you know, I, It's been a long day, but I'm super excited to get to sit down and talk uh, with you in the 602 Club. And uh, before we get rolling on the episode where we're going to be talking about the Incredible Hulk. We're going to be kind of looking at a lot of Marvel films because we're going to get busy on a big Marvel film this year, Captain America Civil War. Uh, Just a really hallmark film, I think, it's going to become. And so we're going to try and get through some of the Marvel films that we haven't covered yet. Before we do that, I just wanted to remind everyone, the 602 Club is part of the Trek Evan Network. And you can find that network at iTunes.com slash TrekFM, where we are a featured provider there for audio podcasting quality content. That's right. Check us out there. Uh, in fact, while you're there, hit us up with a star rating and review. Uh, we're actually doing a review contest for our 602 Star Wars feed. So check that out. Review us there, and you could win some amazing prizes. Uh, just have that in by March 1st. You can also find the network on our own website at trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Of course, we're at the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or if you're at our website at trek.fm, you can also hit discussion on the menu bar. Well, Mike, I... It, it's it's funny because I think the Incredible Hulk is often more likely the forgotten Hulk. Um, you know, a, a lot of people forget this movie, and I, I think that that's because it came after Iron Man. Uh, a lot of people even forget that they came out the same summer. Iron Man was released first, and then in June we had the Incredible Hulk came out, and... It did okay. It didn't do as well at the box office, and it also didn't have the critical success uh, that Iron Man did. It wasn't as universally praised as Iron Man was. Do you remember back then kind of what your first impression of, you know, this kind of the, the very beginnings of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially here with The Incredible Hulk? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was a weird thing because going back even before that was a thing, you know, there was obviously talk of a sequel to Ang Lee's Hulk and The Incredible Hulk was coming out and, uh, you know, they had talked about how it was being recast with Edward Norton and they had a new director with Louis Leterrier and everything. And people kept on saying, like, so are they remaking it? And the answer was like, no, they're not remaking it. They're like, oh, so it's a sequel? No, it's not a sequel. So it's another origin story? No, no, it's not another origin story. And it's like, well, what the hell is this thing? You know, what what are you doing? Are you making a movie? Yeah, kind of. You know, I mean, it was it was very strange. I mean, it's kind of a movie. It's kind of like a cross between like a movie and a play. I mean, yeah, come on, guys. Right. <laughs> it's like, what is it? But, you know, then you see it and you're like, oh, they're right. You know, they they that was an accurate description. You know, it really to me feels like a sequel to a movie that doesn't exist, um, which is strange. But because of that, because of that sort of like unknown quality, and also I think the the perception that the first one was maybe not that great, the initial um, thinking, at least in my mind, in regards to this movie, when I heard that it was going to be a movie or something like a movie, was you know, okay. Whatever. You know, I mean, of course, I will go see this thing, but am I excited about it? Is it something which I'm going to have to rush out to on opening night or whatever? No, not really. And then Iron Man dropped, and there was that credit cookie, the credit cookie to end all credit cookies. And then there were the rumors that Robert Downey Jr. was going to show up in this movie. 
And now all of a sudden this became, you know, top tier blockbuster excitement, you know, and I, I was, I couldn't wait to see it because everyone wanted to see like, how is it going to fit together, you know, and all that stuff. So there's this sort of anticipation of it being, you know, the the second step into a larger world, you know, and um, I, I, that that's that that is really exciting to me. But um, it is very interesting to kind of look at it as something which was probably not constructed necessarily with that in mind, and um, it, it, there there was a lot of you know sort of speculation as to what this would be in relation to Iron Man and the other movies. And I think uh, they didn't even know. And it's it's interesting to kind of uh, look at it now uh, f- from a different perspective, for sure. It is really an interesting thing. Like you said, you know, this kind of felt like the next step into a larger world. And then what was interesting is I think very quickly it almost felt like people were had the feeling that this is kind of the first misstep into a larger world. Like, it... You know, Iron Man came out, and I think it just kind of blew us all away. Nobody knew what to expect. And and John Favreau just created something that was really magnetic and really special. And then this one came out. And I, I for me personally, my first impressions were it was like, it's okay. It's, it's a good summer movie, you know, but it, it didn't have the same impact on me uh, that Iron Man did. You know, Iron Man is still, the original is still one of my favorite comic book films. You know, it, it just, it's such a good, concise, well told origin story of a hero that, for most people, if you're not a super comic book nerd, you, you didn't necessarily know. If you weren't a, a Marvel fanboy, you might not really know necessarily uh, who Iron Man was as much as, you know, on the street, people would know who Spider Man was or at that point in time uh, because the the X-Men had become such a thing uh, in culture like Wolverine, um, those kind of things, you know. So, But it is interesting, as you talk about, the idea of looking backwards now and looking at this film and how it all fits together with the rest of the cinematic universe. I do have to say, one of the things that stood out to me that I, I kind of liked is that there wasn't the weight of the Marvel Universe yet. And therefore, this film and its subtle illusions are subtle illusions. And, you know, if if you're a comic book person, you'll get them. If you're not, you won't get them, and it doesn't hurt you. Um, and I, that's one of the things that I think, uh, watching it again, I was surprised at. You know, the fact that, you know, this movie's about and then trying to create a new super soldier uh, because they're trying to recapture the magic of what happened, if you know your past, with Captain America. But it's it's very subtle. And if you don't know Cap and you don't know that story, you're not missing anything. But again, it was just kind of one of those things. But it, at that point in the storyline, you, know, you just don't have all that weight. And I, I think that, to me... Even rewatching it, it actually really helps the story. So, I mean, I guess I see what you're saying. Um, the I guess the one thing that I would say about that is, while that is true, it has its own set of baggage, which is very similar to that. In that, it is trying to build on something which they didn't really want to build on you know like 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 we were saying before it's it's not a sequel to ang lee's hulk but at the same time it doesn't have that origin story and because of that you know in some ways i feel like you almost have to watch that first movie if you're not a fan of hulk in order to understand what's going on even though the origin is different just to get an idea of the character and the relationships between these people, because we see this backstory play out over the opening credits, but it feels like we're missing something. It feels like we're coming in late. And while we're not bogged down with all of these characters and elements, which we're unfamiliar with because they're 
you know, external to the franchise, we're also bogged down with these characters who are very much a part of the franchise who we basically don't know about. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. It's it's something that I had put on the outline is to their credit um, because I, I thought it was really interesting. You know, Lee's whole cat didn't come out that long ago yeah. from this, and it had not done very well, and it, it had not been critically acclaimed either, um, and, and just people didn't go see it. And I thought it was really interesting in the way that from the moment this movie starts, it's telling you the story and that they use the credits to basically tell the origin story yeah. of where, you know, Bruce Banner and, and uh, Betty Ross are working on this project that accidentally turns him into the Hulk. And I thought, wow, that's a what a clever way to me. It was a very clever way of being able to get past the origin story and tell that stuff very quickly and catch everybody up, if especially if they hadn't seen Ang Lee's Hulk or they didn't have an idea about the comic books. But it gave you that, it almost gave you like that two or three page intro that you'd get in a comic about the origin story. Like, you know, if you open the original Superman comic, it, it talks about, uh, you know, how he came from another world and it had been destroyed and his parents set him, you know, it just it's very quick and very fast. Um, and that's exactly what they do. It feels very much like a comic where you flip through a couple pages and then you get this big, expansive story very quickly. So I don't know. I guess rewatching it for me, it works really well. Um, I, I don't know, like you're saying, if you haven't, seen Ang Lee's Hulk, which I've never seen it, or you don't understand Hulk in general, you you might be lost. I don't know. That's a great question. So you've never seen Ang Lee's Hulk? No, I didn't. It, it, it just, it was for me a film that because of its reception, I just didn't go see it in the theater. And I've never gone back to, 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 you know, actually see if it was, you know, worth anything. So see, that's weird. I don't know if like history's um, perception of that movie is different or whatever. But I remember when that movie came out, one of the things which had me really excited about it was the fact that the critics loved it. And I mean, we have to keep in mind that this is in a pre Dark Knight world. But I remember the reviews. I remember reading the reviews the morning that it came out and seeing people like, I'm going to say like Elvis Mitchell, I could be wrong about that, saying like, this is a thinking man's comic book movie. This is a movie which has a lot of stuff going on in it. This is something by, you know, an Oscar nominated filmmaker, Oscar winning filmmaker. And you can tell that this is, you know, and then when I watched it on opening day, which I think honestly is the only time I've seen it all the way through, I remember thinking like, this is not working but there's some interesting stuff going on it and i almost like had to talk myself into thinking that it was a good movie because <laughs> i was like i'm obviously mm -hmm. missing something if all of these critics think it's so good well it's funny that you mentioned that because so the incredible hulk that we're talking about tonight has 67 percent on rotten tomatoes hulk ang lee's hulk has 61 percent so it is interesting that they are pretty similar mm -hmm. in in where they fall critically about, you know, this is just a little bit better. Uh, they're both fresh on the Rotten Tomatoes scale, but um, they're really in the same ballpark as to what the general public seemed to think about them uh, and what the critics thought about them. And I don't know. I want to ask you this. Do you think it's a problem with the character of Hulk? Because I was thinking about this, you know, one of the things about Hulk that's so interesting is that you really have a guy spending the whole movie trying to do the thing to which you don't, you want to see happen as the audience, but he doesn't. You know, you want to see the Hulk Hulk out and get angry, but he's spending the whole movie trying to not do that. And it's it's this weird thing about the character that... 
you know, there's this this real tug of war, you know, and to me it's always so interesting because he's kind of trying to get rid of his powers, and we're all just waiting him for him to turn into the big green guy and, you know, Hulk smash. It's, it's really interesting. You know, I, I've always kind of had a problem with the character. I've never been a big fan. You know, back when I was reading comic books, I, working at a comic book store, I caught the tail end of, of Peter David's run on the comic, which is a legendary run that's considered, I think, still to be, you know, the best the best that Hulk's ever been is is what Peter David did on it. He worked on the book for years and years and years. And because of that, I sort of missed like the glory years of the Hulk. You know, I was catching the end of it and it never like really grabbed me. And I always sort of had this impression of like, well, how do you make that interesting? Because he's basically, you know, kind of like essentially an animal, you know, in that he doesn't have like any sort of like higher form of of reasoning or anything like that and he's basically just punching things and that seems really boring to me you know and it's a it's a tough sell you know in terms of of the character on the whole although i will say i will say and this is just i i still i think this is insane but it's it's true um when that first trailer i don't know do you remember the first trailer for the yang lee movie where it was just a little short teaser. I think it was attached to Spider-Man where it was like Eric Bana, like looking in a mirror, like in a bathroom. Yes. Yes. I remember that. And then he's like, does a whole narration and then it zooms into mm-hmm. his eye and it turns green. And then it just says Hulk. And it says like coming like next year, you know, it was like a year in advance. Now I've, I've, shown a lot of movies to a lot of people and especially when there's like a new trailer or a big blockbuster i love standing in the back of the theater sold out show and watching people's reactions to trailers never in my life have i seen a reaction as strong as the reaction to that trailer people were like i mean at that point people were like screw spider-man let's i get one next and then when it says next year everyone's like oh Oh, boo, boo, you know, so there definitely is a fan base there. You know, I guess they were turned off by the movie, the by the end result of that movie. And that's why Incredible Hulk came out five years later and everything. But it's I think it definitely is problematic. You know, I mean, I think that's why people respond to him so well in the Avengers, because it's not just him. You know, he works well as part of a of a team in a sense, you know, and, and as part of an ensemble. Um, and I mean, it, it is, it is certainly interesting when you get into the fact that, you know, Bruce Banner is a genius. And when this side of him comes out, he becomes all sort of instinct and emotion and, you know, loses all of his intelligence and everything like that. It, it's, it's an interesting, you know, point and counterpoint or whatever, but does it work? like dramatically i mean it seems like more of a philosophical thing it's it's hard i mean i can see why they didn't why they haven't made another hulk movie since i mean i think there's also some some financial reasons behind that but it's freaking hard to tell a story like that i don't know how peter david did it for like 25 years or whatever it was you know um but uh it's it's tough i don't know i it's yeah, you, you you touching on the idea. I mean, uh, there is a really interesting philosophical discussion about you know how we control the beast within you know, um, and the the things that the the passions that could overtake us and and drive us. So that is a, a hugely interesting thing that that does come from the idea of something like the Hulk, and you know. It was just a question that I I thought of while I was watching the film because really the whole movie, you know, Edward Norton's Bruce Banner is running around trying to get rid of his powers and the whole time we're just waiting for the next action sequence when he's going to hulk out and beat the crap out of things, you know, because it's, it you know, that that's what we're here for. It's awesome. And so... I, it's it's a strange, weird dichotomy that happens with this character more than any other character that you see. Because, you know, you don't really have 
I don't feel like you have other characters out there that really have such a hard time being the the quote unquote hero you know they're supposed to be you know like you said Hulk doesn't turn into somebody who's smarter and whatever he turns into somebody who is driven purely just by instinct and that creates a very strange character to try and follow when he's in and and that's what I think it was interesting about this movie is it does try to show that the Hulk is more than just that beast. That there is something else going on inside. And uh, the movie does try to, to get to that point. So it, it's just an interesting question. What was interesting here, and, and it's weird going back now because I'm so used to it being Mark Ruffalo mm-hmm. as uh, the Hulk, you know, after both Avengers films. And... How do you think uh, this cast, at first Edward Norton pulls off being Bruce Banner and and really selling the role to you here in The Incredible Hulk? Uh, I think that he's really good. I mean, I I don't really remember Eric Bana too much in the role, um, but looking at him and Ruffalo, uh, comparing them to each other, it's almost like they're different characters, you know, And, and I love Ruffalo's character, but I think that honestly Edward Norton's character works better for this story you know and his characterization I think that Norton's obviously a fantastic actor and I think that uh, he really sort of had a good grasp on this script he well I I mean he should because he did a substantial rewrite uh, on it himself so much so that the initial posters actually had his credit on there and they they pulled him and, and took his name off the movie because of the writer's guild or whatever but he did a, a huge rewrite on this movie and um i think that that's that's really impressive um because it, it really shows that he has a good sense of what this character is about and everything it wasn't just like a sort of a paycheck for him you know it was it was something that that he he understood on a fundamental level. And I think that comes through in the movie for sure. There, there's like this determination that he has, which seems lacking in Ruffalo's character. And I know that the character is at like a different point in his life and everything like that. But there's this sort of like driving force in Norton's, uh, Hulk, which, uh, I think Norton is really good at, at that kind of thing. You see him do it in other movies. And, um, I think that he's kind of perfect in this. Yeah. I was really struck by, and what I really liked is the way that he is different from what we've seen, you know, recently uh, with the portrayal of of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Uh, his his the way that he's quiet and 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 very low key is very different. You know, um, everything about the way he's playing the character. You know. Um, he doesn't have any of the bumbling or the the unsureness of himself. He's very confident. Um, he just is laying low, especially for you know the beginning of this film. Uh, but he is he's never not a genius. He's never not confident. Um, you know he he is just he has this way of I don't know how to describe it, but he's a, it's almost as if he's completely pulling himself back to try and make himself invisible. And he does, he's playing that so well. I really, really like that. But at the same time, as he's trying to make himself invisible, I never felt like Mark Ruffalo kind of plays him, especially in the in the first Avengers movie, as almost more like the bumbling, I feel like, the bumbling Clark Kent kind of figure, like he doesn't know what to do with his hands kind of thing. Norton doesn't feel like that ever in this film. You know, he he, he always feels like the smartest guy in the room, even if he's also trying to be invisible. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a strange thing to be trying to pull off all at the same time. But I think you're right. For Norton, he has so much invested in this character that Bruce Banner and and Ed Norton really kind of become one in the same in the film. And that's always kind of nice when you can feel that in a characterization. Yeah, you know, as much as I love Ruffalo and love his performance in, in Avengers, I really would like to have seen 
Norton in that movie. I mean, not only for the continuity's sake, but also for um, what he brought to this movie, I think would have made for a a much different, a much more different, I don't know, whatever, dynamic than uh, than what Ruffalo brought to, to the table. Like, I, I can just kind of imagine, like, Norton and um, Downey going head-to-head, comparing that to, to the stuff with Ruffalo. And I, I think it would have made for a better movie. I, I, I think that Ruffalo was kind of more what Whedon had in mind when he sort yeah. of envisioned the character. And I think that probably played a lot into why they chose to go that route. But uh, I would have liked to have seen Norton in Avengers for sure. Well, and what's so great about this film too is that, you know, we are telling the Hulk story and, you know, for Bruce, it is what's driving him as you were talking about is this love that he has for Betty. And that's what I really liked is really this film is so much more a love story than than any of the other Marvel films for the most part. I mean, even Captain America, which I think comes as the closest to that, you know, where there is that love story in the end. This is it's completely a love story from the from the beginning to end with with those two characters and he has this thing driving him because he wants to be with this woman. He wants to be rid of this hulkness so that he can finally just live the life he would love to have with her, which is to be, you know, a scientist and, you know, to have a very small, quiet life where they probably have kids and just uh, do their work scientifically. And um, I, I think that's really interesting to bring into this character, and it's it's the thing that helps make the the Hulk transformation, and especially when they're together, so much more interesting than um, it it is in the the rest of the films where Hulk is in the the Marvel adventures right now because. You know, and then they gave Hulk the whole com, you know, the relationship a little bit with Natasha, and but I mean, and it's fine. I didn't have a huge problem with it, but this just feels so much more organic to me, and I think Norton is really playing that part very well. Yeah, I agree, and um, you know, I, I think that it's unfortunate that they they kind of just dropped the Betty storyline because. I think that it it was uh, a huge part of that character and to just kind of like forget about it for the rest of the, uh, the, the MCU is I think a big mistake. Well, and it's funny because, you know, Betty is his Lois Lane, you know, he Hulk and Betty kind of go together like Lois Lane and Clark Kent do, you know, they're just kind of, peas in a pod in comics and for so much of it and um i was i was disappointed too that we never saw her again especially since Liv tyler is betty ross and this is one of the last times i remember seeing Liv tyler really in a film after the lord of the rings stuff because she hasn't been in all that much uh in the last you know 10 years and I don't know. Uh, what did you think of her portrayal here? And, you know, especially since at this point in time, I mean, she was she was still kind of a hot commodity after coming off all the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah, I, I thought she was really good. I, I mean, I've always loved Liv Tyler. I think that she's she's a really great actress. And I think the thing that she kind of does is ground the movie. She grounds, I think, whatever movie she's in, you know, whether it's this or Armageddon or... Um, Jersey Girl, you know, she she has a tendency to really uh, ground the movie and sort of present it from the audience's perspective in a lot of ways. You know, looking at these fantastic events through her eyes, I think that's that's something that she's really good at. And um, yeah, it, it is unfortunate that she hasn't been in more stuff lately. I know that she she has kids now and stuff like that, and that's that's uh, one of the reasons why she's not been doing as much acting, but I would like to see her selfishly in more stuff uh, because she's really good. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm with you on that. I, I completely agree. And what I love about her in this film, as you were saying, you know, she grounds the film. I was thinking, 
to myself, Liv Tyler has this incredible empathy as an actress. And I think that may be one of the things that grounds the film. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that she has a way of portraying this this empathy and this kindness and this ultimate humanity with whatever she's doing, whether it's playing an elf <laughs> in Lord of the Rings or, um, you know, here uh, as a scientist, uh, you know, worried about this this man that she loves who is turned into what everybody thinks is a monster. Uh, you know, I thought that that was really cool. And you know what made the... I made the connection that this story is Marvel's King Kong. You know what? It's so interesting because when we're there together, I mean, he is King Kong to her Anne. And I think that that just makes it so interesting, especially that scene in the film where, you know, he has rampaged all over the college campus and he's taken her away with him. And, you know, they're at the cave and, you know, he's screaming at the lightning and everything and he's trying to protect her. And she's just saying, you know, it's okay, it's okay. You know, she's calming him down. And it's exactly the same scene from King Kong. (laughs) I just thought that was really, really funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, Stan Lee created the character, right? I mean, I, he seems like someone who's really well-versed in pop culture and, and everything, as well as, you know, great literature, you know, going all the way back to Shakespeare or whatever, but all the way up to King Kong. And, you know, I, I think that that was certainly an influence on him. I think it would have to be when you're telling a story like this. And uh, that's that's probably not a not a big stretch. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, n- not from somebody like Stan. Um, what did you, uh, you know, think about Tim Roth playing Emil, uh, who will also be uh, Abomination in the film? Uh, he's so good. I mean, I think of all the actors in, in this movie, he's the best, and I think that his performance in here is the best. You know, Tim Roth is, I mean. He's 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 a legendary actor at this point in time. You know, it's crazy to think like he's only been on the scene for like 25 years. But in that time, he's just, you know, portrayed some of the most amazing roles in, in movie history. And seeing him here is uh, him at his best, you know, him in like this huge blockbuster thing. But that that sort of like determination and, and evil, in a sense, is so well portrayed he's he's great in this movie i i that that i think is the thing that that works best in this movie for me is his character and his desire to sort of like harness his almost his love for the hulk you know betty loves loves uh bruce but tim roth loves the hulk and (laughs) and i think that that's pretty awesome really i thought it was it was a really great character and I totally bought him as, you know, this military dude, you know, who's who's going to do whatever it takes to get this this power for himself. He's awesome. What I think is so incredible about him is that he makes the role look effortless. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just so effortless for him to be that evil. Mm hmm. And that's that's what's really crazy, uh, and 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 what makes it so enjoyable to watch. It you don't even have to think about it. You know, you just automatically accept this guy and his motivations and everything because of what Tim Roth is giving you on, on screen. It's it really is, I think, uh, pretty incredible. And so I'm really impressed by the work that he did in the film, and it, it's. You know, it almost like seems for him that it it it's not difficult, but it makes it that's what makes it so good. So yeah, I'm right there with you. He he just plays the ultimate jerk uh, and narcissistic, power hungry madman really well. And so I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, he's really good. He's a really good actor. Well, William Hurt plays uh, Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, Betty's father in the film and uh what did you end up thinking about uh what he brought to the role especially as we look towards 
Captain America Civil War, where he's going to return. Yeah, it's really interesting that he's returning. I mean, I think the character is fine. It's kind of one-dimensional, uh, but that's just sort of who he is, I think, in, in a lot of ways. And, I mean, William Hurt's performance was fine. I've never been a huge fan of William Hurt. I know there are people who are, and, I mean, certainly he's he's great in things like Smoke and Dark City or whatever, but I've never, like, seen a William Hurt performance and been like oh my god this guy's an oscar you know worthy actor or anything like that but he's not bad and i think to be fair in this movie he doesn't really have that much to work with i mean it is sort of the one-dimensional villain role i think uh and it's really weird because you know we talk about incredible hulk being the second movie in the marvel cinematic universe and how it tied in and how i mean i'm personally of the opinion I, I don't know if this has been confirmed or not but that they essentially retconned it into the marvel cinematic universe in a sense and i think that that kind of shines through with that last scene which was shot i don't think it was intended to be in the movie originally i know that they used the crew for iron man and everything like that and it was just sort of like a last minute thing that they threw on there and i really get the feeling that they didn't really know what they were doing so much as knowing that they wanted to do something. And that scene really kind of flips things around in a sense. I mean, it looks like it makes it look like the Avengers movie is going to be Tony Stark putting together a team to take down the Hulk, which is similar to the, the story, you know, the ultimates, which heavily influenced the Avengers movie. But, we leave him basically in a place where Tony Stark is like, hey, we're putting a team together. We need your help. So where are they going to pick it up now? Because I think that since that happened, the storyline, which they thought they were going towards, sort of made a course correction and went somewhere else. And maybe Thunderbolt Ross would be on the other side of things. And I don't, I honestly don't know where he fits into Civil War. I haven't like done a, a, a deep analysis of that trailer yet or anything like that. Cause I mean, part of it, I want to keep it fresh for the theater, but I really don't know how he's going to fit in. I mean, I can see him fitting in, I can see how they could use him to great effect in Civil War, but I honestly don't know how they're going to use him because there's a lot of different ways that they could. Yes, I I don't I was watching that scene at the end and I was just like I this doesn't make any sense with the Marvel universe that we know now and it's very strange and I don't understand exactly why they would be bringing him back for Civil War. And this is where my naivety of not knowing Marvel Comics as well as I know DC to say I don't know if he played a part in Civil War the comic book series which he could have and that's why they're using him because they have him you know in this but yeah it's this weird thing because they you know um, he has been nowhere since then so it just seems like if they thought that they might ever use him again, you would have just maybe put him in the background somewhere for something, just so you kind of have an idea he's kind of around, maybe a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something, I don't know. So it's it very interesting that, you know, and you're right too, you know, fortunately William Hurt really didn't get a ton to do in this film that isn't very classic comic booky villain, the guy that just looking to... Um, create a super soldier or it doesn't, you know, damn the costs um, and not really thinking about any of the consequences of his actions. And so uh, until it's too late almost. And, you know, that that's very, very cliched. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because it is so like quintessential Thunderbolt Ross in a sense where, I mean, it's just like this singular, you know, determination, this singular, you know, vision yes. that he has that I, I honestly think his character is going to be much more interesting in Civil War because he's be, going to be taken out of his comfort zone in a sense or, you know, which is a 
trying to chase down Hulk in order to make more Hulks, you know, and, you know, being at odds with his daughter, you know, no Hulk, no daughter, just other things, you know, and seeing other aspects to, to this, this character and his uh, views on the world. So I think that that could be really interesting. I mean, they could make him a hero in this thing. You never know. I mean, it's, it doesn't look like they're doing that, but it's, it's interesting. They could do any number of things with him. And, and I'm very curious to see what it is they do end up doing with him. That's the thing that I was thinking, too. It would be really interesting to have him play a role that you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. That would be nice to give us that twist because, at least in the trailer so far for Civil War, he just kind of looks to be playing the same character yeah. uh, that he was playing here. But now he's more about following these rules, you know, like that's his new thing. So, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's it's going to be interesting, and, you know, on a whole, I think that's one of the strengths of the film, though, for the most part, as we talked about, you know, the three, four main cast members, all of them are good, you know, even William Hurt, he's good at what he's doing on screen, and all of them are selling their roles very, very well, and uh, just the whole time, I, you know, I, I really like... For the most, I actually really like the storyline that's happening. I, I like this storyline with Bruce Banner and Betty Ross trying to find a way to be together again because her dad screwed them over big time because they had no idea that this was being used to try and create a new super soldier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really, really thought that was interesting, you know, because that's a the idea of you know, obviously science being twisted for evil purposes is is something that's been happening for a very long time. And this kind of idea of this abomination of power and the desire for more power and, and science being twisted and used in new and unspeakable evil ways, um, I really, really liked, you know. Um, and it was interesting to me to see and think about this idea of, like, Okay, every time they've tried to create a super soldier that isn't Cap, it's gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of that, I, I wonder if it part of that is, is not just because, one, the people involved, the guy who created that serum, why he created that serum, and the person they used it on. You know, because there's a innate, almost righteousness about Cap. And Steve Rogers, uh, and, and his goodness, um, and it's just really interesting watching all these ideas play out in this film. Uh, and I, I just really, really was resonating with where the the storyline was taking us, with the ideas of of power and science and misuse of power and all that stuff. I thought it was really good. Yeah, it's it's okay. I mean, I. I see what they're going for and everything, and, you know, it's it's fine, and they, they get their point across well. I mean, I think um, you're walking a, a really fine line when you tell a story like this because there is the sort of thing where it's like we need to be careful not to um, use science for evil purposes or de- or develop things which will be perverted into something terrible you know like uh you know which which i think is is you know maybe maybe a lot of it is a is a sort of critique of the fact that you know a lot of scientific advancements come from military funding and things like that and maybe what they're trying to say is like maybe we shouldn't be trying to create weapons so much as you know make things which do um advance you know mankind instead of trying to destroy it and certainly there's something to be said for that but on the flip side stories like this especially when you don't have a chance to really examine that that subject fully tend to turn into like we need to be careful as humans not to create things which will destroy us you know and it's like yeah that's totally true but at the same time you need to be careful not to scare people away from you know doing good scientific work and, and advancing us as, as a, as a society, just because you're afraid that 
some something bad might happen. You know, I mean, in the case of, of Bruce Banner, for example, it doesn't work with him. I think that he's just as righteous as as uh, Ca- uh, Captain America in terms of, you know, his intentions are good. He's trying to come up with something, you know, which is which is, you know, a benefit to society and everything like that. Maybe it's not to fight the Nazis or whatever, but it's to advance the human race uh, in in terms of knowledge and everything like that. And it doesn't work. And maybe the reason why it doesn't work is because his Stanley Tucci is Thunderbolt Ross, you know? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very, I, I see what they're going for. And, and I don't think that they, they do a bad job at it, but it's not this story in particular. It's stories like this in general where I'm just like, be, be careful what you're doing, guys, because people might take this the wrong way, you know? Or maybe you're taking it the wrong way, you know, right. when you're in your telling of the story. I don't know. Well, and that's that's an interesting thing, too, because you pointed out there, you know, it, it's not about not having the drive to be creative. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's what's driving the creativity. Right. You know, kind of uh, what Tomorrowland did last year mm-hmm. about talking about that idea of it, it's 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 about what you feed, you know, and in here, obviously, what's being fed is this like this really this thirst for power to have the ultimate soldiers to have the ultimate weapons um and when you think about it there's no major threat like the nazis or anything else in that way at that time period you know when the movie comes out it's not the same you know and so um it really is this just thirst for more power this kind of abomination of power and so um, but yeah, you're exactly right. And you, it is a fine line. And luckily, I think the movie does a pretty good job of walking that, um, you know, and what was really interesting is seeing that with the scientist who has been helping Bruce in undercover. And, you know, they go to his lab and he's all excited about what this can do, you know, but Bruce has realized that this power specifically really only has the power to to destroy things to like make things worse not better you know uh so that also that idea of you know science not having guidelines you know or responsibility in it and that's another thing that i really loved in this film is that banner is the hero because he's has this willingness to take responsibility for his own actions and even actions that really aren't his responsibility. You know, he's taken on the action, the responsibility of the actions that Ross took and making them his own, you know, to go and stop abomination and those kind of things. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool theme. You know, the ramifications of your actions, they have consequences, and Bruce is willing to take those on no matter what it costs. And that's kind of the, that's what makes Hero. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess that that's a theme running through most superhero movies and you know comic books and that kind of thing. And I, I guess that's yeah. I guess I guess that's done pretty well here too. Well, and you know, it it also you know kind of becomes the idea of just because one can do a thing doesn't necessarily mean one should do a thing. And having the wisdom to know the difference, you know, like we were just talking about, and that's a. That is a fine line, and... I, I guess, I mean, here's my question in this specific instance is, like, because I, I honestly forget, but, like, what was... And, and, and part of it, I think, is because they basically explain it in the opening credits, right? Like, what was it that Bruce and Betty were trying to accomplish? Like, I, I know what Thunderbolt Ross was trying to accomplish, but I have a feeling that they weren't, you know, he didn't go to them and say like, you know what, how about you guys do this? And then we can use it to make a bunch of soldiers. I, I like, I have a feeling that, that, you know, Bruce and Betty weren't on the same page as him in terms of that. What was the scientific thing that they were trying to accomplish? And I mean, I guess ultimately it doesn't, matter but assuming that it wasn't to create soldiers then i mean you can say just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing but at the same time i mean 
if you think that what you're doing is going to be beneficial, then you can't really be scared away from doing it just because it might not be. You know what I mean? Right. And and their goal was to make humans immune to gamma radiation. So that's pretty that's pretty admirable. Right. It's a it's a it's a great goal, you know. It what they don't realize is it's just being twisted behind their backs. Right. So so that to me it's not so much the the scientific thing, it's more the needing to know who who who's the, where the money's coming from, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's know who, who's opening up who's that bottle of sponsoring your research? Yeah. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. So which is funny because that was just in Legends of Tomorrow that I was watching right before we were recording this. So I do want to I do want to ask you about what you thought about the effects work here and you know because this is a really effects heavy movie especially obviously when you get to the end with the big battle between Hulk and Abomination and uh, how did you feel that worked because obviously very differently from Iron Man which so much of that John Favreau tried to do as practical as possible and then of course there's CGI um this movie i mean they just you you can't create a hulk uh you're not going to get Lou Ferrigno here uh in green paint i mean we get Lou Ferrigno in the film which is great uh which i loved um and you get a few other jokes about like purple you know stretchy pants and stuff like that but um yeah what did you end up thinking about uh, the work that they do to kind of bring to life the hulk himself and then his big nemesis I didn't really have much of a problem with it, to be honest. You know, it's it's rare that, you know, I, I'm going to be taken out of the movie by bad effects, in a sense. You know, usually I can forgive them. Um, but, like, early on, I thought they did a really great job, job of sort of um, keeping things hidden. And I know part of that was just sort of, you know, getting the reveal of, of Hulk. But, I mean, I thought that the, the action sequences and the effect sequences were pretty well done. Um, up until they got to to New York and the the whole New York thing, I mean, I think part of it is the abomination is kind of ridiculous looking, you know. So so that you've got that strike against you in a sense where it's like, okay, you you that that looks goofy. Um, but then you know, I don't know if if I had a problem with it, it wasn't so much that the effects were bad; it's that. You can only punch so many things, you know? I mean, unless you're Rocky, I don't really care if you're punching stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, so we know that this movie has to end with two big green guys beating the crap out of each other, and that gets real old real fast, you know? And uh, at some point, it's just time to move on. So, yeah, I don't know. Not a really big uh, problem with any of the effects themselves, though. I didn't have... um... A too much of a problem with that. I, I do think it may be the thing that makes people think of the movie in, in a lesser light is that abomination fight. Um, and yeah, it, the design of a, a of abomination is is okay. You know, it, it's always how you make the evil looking monster is always tough in any film. You know, um, I, I don't think that that's an easy thing to pull off, honestly. The, just to interject, the other thing about that is it's always like, and it seems to be a thing in Marvel movies in particular, like the evil version of the good guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. It, yo, you're right. It's 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 not very nuanced at all. And I will say, too, and, and this is a problem that runs through every single Marvel movie for the most part. I would say it, you know, uh, there are very few memorable villains. And as cool as Tim Roth is in the film, he's not really memorable as the villain, you know, because he's just bad. You know, most of the Marvel villains are just bad because they're bad. And they're bad because they're bad because they're bad. Well, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, to me, I don't remember Abomination at all to be honest, but I do remember Tim Roth. And one of the things which I think 
is really interesting and one of the things which I really respond to early on and one of the reasons why I think those early fight scenes work a lot better than the climax is that it's a different type of bad guy compared to the good guy. It's it's sort of the opposite problem of what we're talking about. And while the Hulk is this big CGI character which just goes around destroying stuff, these guys are like elite tactical forces you know who are using like military strategy and weaponry and everything like that and it's like this this um really strong contrast between this just you know hunk of meat which is punching and stomping and these guys with their you know technology and their their you know um military uh intelligence and whatnot which are 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 fighting and and that to me makes for a really interesting fight sequence unlike just two big green guys you know beating each other to death so maybe that's something that that marvel needs to learn is that you shouldn't always just have the bad version of your good guy you need to vary it up a little bit Uh, well and you know i i think too it just in general, a hero is only as as good as its villain, mm-hmm. for the most part. Really, that that's the case. And when I think of the most successful Marvel movies for me, uh, the most successful one was so far Captain America: Winter Soldier, and that is because the villain fighting Captain America is the very thing which he hates the most, which is a threat to liberty and that is a a, you know and and it's encapsulated in in hydra but it it works so well you know because that that's the ultimate villain for somebody like captain america and you know again here it's it's like you said it was actually that fight in the campus of the college culver college is so much cooler uh, than the one that we do get in um, in New York, and I don't I don't really dislike the one. Um, I do think that the effects work doesn't hold up as well. Part of that is that you know the one thing I'll say about Mark Ruffalo over Edward Norton is his face is a lot easier to translate into Hulk. Yeah. Uh, Edward Norton has a very long, thin face, and that does not translate into Hulk face. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, Hulk doesn't look much like Edward Norton at all. And that was, I think, the thing for me that, again, the effects work. It's like they didn't try hard enough to give you anything that really reminded you of Ed Norton yeah. as Hulk. And that's the one thing they've been able to do in in their more recent films with Hulk is that you feel like it's Ruffalo's character. They They look very similar somehow yeah. they, they just do a great job with that so all in all mike you know again it ta- coming back to this film and rewatching it what would you end up rating the incredible hulk do you think i'd probably give it three out of four stars um i'd say on the whole it's one of the lesser movies of the marvel cinematic universe but i i still do enjoy it quite a bit i think it does kind of fall apart at the end but uh on the whole i i, I think it is a good movie yeah yeah, you know, for me, um, it was very strange to come back to this film because when I was I was and I was looking on my list, uh, you know, we're both on Letterboxd, yeah. uh, the website where you can keep track of all the movies you watch because both of us just watched so many movies and we're trying to keep track. And I, I have my actual list there for Marvel films, and I was looking at it as I was watching this movie, and I was thinking, huh. It's really weird because before I started rewatching the movie, this was actually, I think, third from the end on the list. And this has actually moved up a few spots now. And so of all the Marvel movies that have come out so far, it's actually number eight for me. Which, to me, actually puts this at three and a half out of five stars. This is a much better movie than I remember. And I'm so thankful that I, I actually am making myself go back and rewatch these for the 602 as we move towards uh, Civil War. Because I would 
actually watch this movie again. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd pick this one back up and, and watch it again because I, I, I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed the storyline. I enjoyed what uh, Norton and Tyler are doing. Um, and I, I, I kind of went really... I mean, it's 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 a little cliched, but the, I I liked the romance and everything that's going on with that, and uh, like you said, I'm I'm sad that we never follow up with uh, Betty, and uh, I don't think we ever will, unfortunately. But uh, at least they did it here. Cue sad Hulk music now. There we go. Cue sad music. Well. <laughs> the sad Hulk music, the piano. That's right. Hulk sad, sad Hulk yeah. music play here. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I looking at my list on Letterboxd, and if you're not on Letterboxd, you should go to Letterboxd. Oh yeah, because totally should. It's be. great. Join Mike and I, and I love like seeing what other people are watching, especially if you you know do like star ratings or whatever. Like I love seeing what yep. what Matthew is watching and being like. Why did he watch that movie? And why did he give it four stars? That's so weird. You know, but especially like when you have like a movie where like, you know, everyone's seeing Deadpool this weekend. You know, I I love to see what everyone thinks of this movie that we all just watched. And now it's like we almost communally are discussing it, even though we saw it across the country. But anyway, on my, my letterboxed list of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, I have it at number 10 in between Age of Ultron and uh, Dark World. But I could see it moving up past Age of Ultron. I need to rewatch that movie. I could see it it uh, jumping ahead you know, of the spot. That's really interesting. Um, on my list, it's between Age of Ultron and Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's right in the middle. But I think, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I would probably rewatch Hulk more than I would Age of Ultron, Yeah. now that I think about it. So you have it so, coming... You have Guardians of the Galaxy at number nine on your list. Yeah, Guardians is I, I'm I'm a different man. Uh, I I'm a different man. That's one, so. that's, that's, that's one way of uh, putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we get into starting to talk about a whole different Marvel movie, we really appreciate you joining us here in the Six Hundred Two Club. It, it's been a blast talking about the Incredible Hulk, and I really want to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, our associate producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson. Uh, I'm so thankful for these guys. And it's a huge year for us here on Trek FM. It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We're celebrating in a big way for, with the show that Mike had the genius to think of from there to here. Genius or Help insanity. Us. One of the, one yeah. Of the <laughs> Help us keep all of this content t- coming to you. You know, it is very expensive to put all this together. Um, you know, uh, editing shows, uh, the software we need, the space we need, the spa- the um, storage of the files online so that you can download. The, the costs it costs us for you to download all those podcasts. Uh, we need your help. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. And you can see how you can be part of the team. We do have some great perks for you, and we'd love for you to help make sure that what I think is the best quality content of podcasts out there on the net right now can keep coming to you. So again, just go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and we really do appreciate your support. It it, it means so much to us. Um, now, Mike, uh, before we get out of here, make sure that uh, you remind everybody of all the places that they can find you online and here on the network. You can find me right here on Trek.fm on Commentary Trek Stars, where we look at uh, the work of uh, Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. It's the other um, show on the network that's not talking about Star Trek. This week, we just looked at Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And next oh, week, good one. <laughs> next week, we're looking at Rogue Nation as part of our JJ series. I'm sure we're also going to be discussing the Brian Fuller news uh, at great length because it's very exciting stuff. And uh, you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing commentary track stars. We've been doing um, live recaps of uh, all of the new X-Files episodes as they happen. So tune into that. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k. Well, goodness, uh, Mike, I'm so excited uh, that you came on tonight to talk about uh, Incredible Hulk. And uh, goodness, we really do, folks, have some Marvel coming to you. 
Uh, we're going to talk Deadpool. We're going to talk some uh, Iron Man 2, some Thor. We're going to talk some Captain America, Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War. I mean, it's going to be a great year if you enjoy Marvel films. Uh, and then plus, we're going to have Daredevil the series come out uh, this year. We'll be talking about that. We're going to be talking about Agent Carter once that is finished and with its run this season. So, goodness, so much stuff coming for you guys, for you Marvel fans. Uh, and, uh, hey, if you like DC, we'll have that coming too because there's a little film called Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice coming out. And an even literaler one. I, just, I mean, it's an indie one. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's coming out too. So we'll talk about that for you guys. But um, you can find me at MattRushing02 on Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram and Rushing. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk about Deep Space Nine. Love doing that show with him. It's so much fun talking about my favorite Star Trek series. You can also find me doing... Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We interview Star Trek book authors as well, so make sure you join us. It's so much fun, those interviews, and really getting behind the scenes of the brand new books in the Star Trek literary universe. And, of course, you can find me on a brand new podcast with my friend John Mills called Aggressive Negotiations. You can find us on iTunes at Aggressive Negotiations. Just type that in. Or you can find us on our own website at aggressivenegotiations.squarespace.com. I do want to remind everyone again that we are running the review contest for the Star Wars feed of the 602 Club. Hit that up on iTunes. Give us a star rating and review. And um, we really do have some great prizes for you. I've got a brand new Star Wars mug for you. I've also got a Ractageno mug. As well as, I know this sounds strange, but a Spock shirt. And Norm is throwing in the Art of the Force Awakens book. So whether you're a Star Wars fan or a Star Trek fan, this prize pack is for you. So just make sure you do that before March 1st, and we'll be picking the winner. I got to say, so glad to have you around the 602 Club, and y'all come back now, you hear? You hear?